Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. It is great to be with you on this Monday. I have a special Monday show in store for you, including the fact that Josiah from the Pondering Politics YouTube channel is joining me once again. Thanks for being here, Josiah. Thank you for the invitation, Lucas. We tried to make an end of the week show happen, and this time it wasn't my technical problems. It had to do with your camera. It was our technical problems. We shared it. You started the curse, then mm. you projected it onto me, and so shall it carry on down the line. So yeah, I don't know who's going to get it next. I will say just quickly before we jump in, I've talked to my own audience about this, and um, you're dealing with it as well. It is way more than I ever would have expected before I started doing a show the technical side dealing with problems that pop up because of that way more effort than I ever would have expected. My goodness. But let's dive in. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley did a CNN town hall. And I want to walk through some notable moments from this before we jump into the first. The takeaway, as you'll probably um, pick up on as we go through some of these clips from this CNN town hall with Nikki Haley for me was even though she's portrayed especially by the mainstream media as kind of a more moderate candidate um more reasonable than the other republicans and she obviously is more reasonable than trump but that's a very low bar she represents just how far the gop has gone that this is considered more moderate um that she's considered a more reasonable republican because she's not reasonable as we'll get to and she's having to even if she doesn't believe it authentically herself perpetuate dangerous and dishonest talking points just to have a shot within the modern uh, republican primary field even though she doesn't really have a shot but she's trying to and that's really unfortunate so we'll start with this uh her getting asked what's your definition of woke woke the word woke used to be used by progressives to talk about an awareness of inequities and historical inequities but obviously it means something else to conservatives criticizing it. What does it mean to you? How do you define woke? There's a lot of things. I mean, you want to start with biological boys playing in girls sports. That's one thing. The fact that we have gender pronoun classes in the military now. I mean, all of these things that are pushing what a small minority want on the majority of Americans. It's too much. It's too much. I mean, the. You know, for her to be talking about a small minority of Americans pushing their will onto the majority, that's rich. The irony is profoundly thick, given that that is basically the position of the Republican Party writ large with its entire agenda. Every single major piece of Republican policy, if you want to call it that, um, is supported only by a minority of the American public. If you want to reflect the majority's values and the majority's policies, you got to vote Democrat. So in her own in her own way, she made an affirmative case to vote Democrat. Who knew? And because their policies just are not as popular as Democratic policies are not as supported because often they work to make the wealthy more wealthy, the powerful more powerful. Um, because of that fact, they have to obsess over wokeness they have to distract with things like wokeness and uh, we'll dive into this second clip really dangerous rhetoric here and the idea that we have biological boys playing in girls sports it is the women's issue of our time my daughter ran track in high school i don't even know how i would have that conversation with her how are we supposed to get our girls used to the fact 
that biological boys are in their locker rooms? And then we wonder why a third of our teenage girls seriously contemplated suicide last year? We should be growing strong girls, confident girls. Then you go and you talk about building a strong military. How are you going to build the morale in a strong military when you're doing gender pronoun classes? Why is it that... Just such a lazy attempt at dishonest talking points. Really, that's the problem. The military, they're spending all this time on gender pronoun classes. And if you want to talk about sports and transgender athletes and all of that, I've said this before. I'm not interested in having a discussion about that with someone, even though you can have a good faith discussion about that subject if they come at these subjects in such a dishonest way and such a dangerous dehumanizing way, such as apparently they're blaming trans youth for the high suicide rate among uh, youth generally. You heard that, right? Yeah. That is sickening. What on earth is she talking about? Oh, there's going to be a trans child in a locker room and that's why there's high suicide rates among um, children. What on earth? Yeah, it's really bizarre because, you know, it's trans youth, which comprises, you know, the, the biggest cohort of youth suicidality, right? It's a disproportionately high cohort of people who experience suicidal ideation. So you would think her sympathy would be with them, not projecting some sort of made up issue that she says they're the cause of. And it's also kind of interesting that, you know, for a member of a political party that's supposedly so pro-military and so pro-America – uh, it's interesting to me that, you know, under the Biden administration, the defense budget has only increased as it does every single year. But it's year for the virtually. gender pronoun classes. Right, only. exactly. You know, all those, all those, you know, gender pronoun classes, the textbooks that go along with it, apparently, the, the name tags. I mean, it's, it's absolutely preposterous. This idea that this, the military, which, you know, we spend more on defense than like the next 15 countries combined and 13 out of 15 are our allies. This idea that Whenever a Democrat is in office, we cease to be the most powerful military force in the world. It's absolutely preposterous. Of course, she has no facts to support any of her claims in this clip. So what can you expect? Yeah. And then speaking of dangerous stuff, she even though in the past she's criticized uh, Trump for his lies that led to January 6th and stuff like that, even she's recognizing 63 percent of the Republican uh, base, Republican voters believe the election of Joe Biden was illegitimate. So she is even perpetuating these talking points about 2020. Take a look at this one. Trump, after January 6th, you said this about him, quote, we need to acknowledge he let us down. He went down a path he shouldn't have, and we shouldn't have followed him, and we shouldn't have listened to him, and we can't let that ever happen again, unquote. Do you, do you still feel that way? Yes, he thinks it was a beautiful day. I think it was a terrible day. I'll always stand by that. And Trump continues to lie about what happened. Uh, in the 2020 election. He continues to say it was stolen, and, and a huge number of Republican voters believe him. Now, I know you have issues with the ways some states changed the rules to help people vote during the pandemic. I get that. You have acknowledged that that didn't have any impact on the outcome of the election. But I'm, I'm talking about debunked, wild conspiracy theories, claims rejected by Republican governors and election officials, more than 60 failed legal challenges. After January 6th, you said about voters who believe Trump's conspiracy theories, quote, We've got a lot of work to do. They've been lied to by everybody, unquote. 
How clearly are you going to state this to voters on the campaign trail? I think it's important that voters want to have election integrity. That's the biggest thing. And I've seen when I was at the United Nations, there's nothing worse than when a country and their citizens don't trust the election system. So when you look at what happened, you know, you had mail out balloting that we know was happening. We know that there was harvesting that was happening. And then you had secretaries of state that did things without approval from their legislature. Those are pretty serious. And so what we've seen happen in states is they've started to pass election integrity laws, which we need to have. And I think that's really important. And I've said all of what happened, none of that would have changed the results of the election. We know that um, President Biden is the president. But I do think it goes to say we need to continue to have election integrity laws. When I was governor. That is how far the Republican Party has fallen, where even someone who previously made clear I'm against what Trump is doing and all of that has to perpetuate these same talking points. And what's the big conspiracy there? She won't go into dead voters or voting in mass and uh, Dominion flipped votes and all of that. But she's saying because of the pandemic, some states try to make it easier to vote not alleging fraud took place just saying it was easier for some people to vote and people mailed in. she said we knew that mail-in voting was happening and harvesting all uh, ballot harvesting is is someone taking your ballot to the location um for elderly people for example so the big conspiracy is more people were able to vote easier yeah i think it's important for you know, your audience and, and everyone else who's watching, you know, the Republican Party, none of its officials have any credibility on the subject of election integrity, none. The Heritage <laughs> Foundation, which is a, this right wing, you know, conservative think tank, which supposedly tracks and publicly discloses instances of election denial, or excuse me, not election denial, uh, like election fraud. If you go to their database, you'll find for every a Democratic voter, you'll find one or two Republican voters who have been either convicted or have been charged with voter fraud. We had high profile instances of that in Nevada and Florida where Republicans would vote on behalf of dead spouses or try to duplicate ballots as well. So number one, the Republican Party to whatever- Let me just say quickly before you go, and they got caught and there are very, very few examples of that, but continue. Correct. That's what I mean. So let, let just but taking the premise at face value, the idea that the GOP has any credibility on this issue is absolutely factually untrue. Number one. Number two, to whatever extent voter fraud exists, you know, from Democratic voters, Republican voters, independents, it is a statistical minority, a blip of a blip. Uh, even in the 2020 election, with all the pandemic era accommodations that were made, mail in ballots, you know, the, the proliferation of drop off boxes, uh, the extent to to whatever extent that ballot harvesting existed, none of these. We have not seen any evidence that that saw a credible uptick in voter fraud during the 2020 election. And by the way, what's wrong with those things? Why is mail-in uh, ballot, uh, uh, mail-in voting a problem, absentee voting a problem? Why is even ballot harvesting a problem? It's the equivalent of handing your homework or a test off to somebody going up to the teacher's desk to deliver their paper. You know, you still have signature verification, all the safeguards in effect, Luke. It's not like, you know, you, the, the, the envelope still has to be sealed. They still have to do all the matches. The, the, the level of fraud associated with these things is unverified. There's no evidence for it. It's a solution in search of a problem to intimidate voters to not come out.
Absolutely. And the other part of that talking point from her that just really gets under my skin is when Republican politicians will say, we just need who are in the moment lying or being dishonest about our elections. We'll go, we just need people to trust in our elections. That's the problems. That's what I want to address. That's why we need election integrity uh, bills to be passed. Why don't they trust right now as much as we have in the past in our elections? Because of lies like the ones falling out of your mouth right now. <laughs> it's uh, very similar to Marjorie Green during an interview getting asked about her lying about the election. And she said, you know, I really do believe that the 2020 election was stolen. And it's okay for me to believe that because a lot of my voters do. Because you told them that. Because you lied to them. You can't convince someone of something. And then when asked why it's okay that you're convincing them of that, say, but they believe it. So I'm allowed to, be I'm just representing them. But you get the point. No, it's, so it's completely enraging. circular. No, 100%. It's circular. So you peddle a falsehood in like incessantly. And in some cases, I think perhaps even in perpetuity, if they're allowed to continue, and then some people will find that lie persuasive. And then you cite the people that you've lied to as proof that the lie has merit. It, it's a, again, it's an absolutely secular or circular problem. And uh, it's something exclusive to the Republican Party. So, yeah, I, no credibility from Nikki Haley here. None. And I know we have two more clips. We'll scrap the last one for time and just play this uh, one more. The next one as our final clip um, with how Mr. Trump uh, dealt with and how his attitude was towards Kim Jong-un while you worked at the UN. I mean, Kim Jong-un is a thug. And if you see what he has done to his own people in North Korea, when money went to North Korea, it didn't go to feed their people. It went to feed their nuclear program. There's nothing good or decent about Kim Jong-un. There's no reason we should ever congratulate the fact that they are now vice chair of the World Health Organization. And it goes to the fact that also the World Health Organization is a farce to start with. We saw that during COVID. So it did bother you and you didn't, you didn't like his congratulating of Kim Jong-un and you didn't like how he dealt with him? When I he don't was think we ever should congratulate dictators. Congratulate our friends. Don't congratulate our enemies. It emboldens them when we do that. So I guess that's her criticizing Trump. But even there, she won't say, no, he should not have done that or anything like that. It has to be, well, I don't think anyone should. But clearly uh, showing some some difference, I guess, on, on that one from Trump. Yeah. Because normally her big line is, I don't kick sideways when she's asked about Trump. I just want to talk about Joe Biden. Well, you can't talk about Joe Biden until you defeat the people in the primary. Yeah, I'll say this. I mean, it's the same sort of like tepid quasi roundabout criticism that we're starting to see from the candidates as they proceed. Um, and we talked about this before. The, the big problem with this is that, you know, if you're competing against Donald Trump, Donald Trump has convinced the Republican base that his personality is one of strength. So even though we know that he is a thin-skinned, malignant narcissist who can't handle criticism, all of which embodies the exact opposite of strength, um, he's convinced that being loud and boisterous and just relentlessly aggressive towards anybody who even – like any sort of criticism whatsoever. So Haley, just like um, DeSantis, just like Tim Scott, just like all the other competitors, I guess with the possible exception of Asa Hus Hutchinson, of who of course stands no chance whatsoever – they are not demonstrating strength by the Republican definition. So how on earth can you possibly win them over in that way? But I'll also say the idea that you don't kick sideways. This is something that the Republican Party 
has historically been, not so much in the modern era, we see a lot of Republican infighting for the last couple of years under the Biden administration, which is good for Democrats and the left and the country as a whole. But I will say, from just a purely political perspective, I wish we would see more of that from Democrats, this idea that you know you keep your eyes on the prize pretty consistently, and whatever criticisms that you may have of your peers or members of your own party, you are very strategic about when, where, and how you articulate them. That is an advantage for the Republican Party in electoral politics, and it's something that Democrats should note, in my opinion. Mm. You want to uh, take it away with our next story? Absolutely. So we got a taste of the moderate GOP field, and now we've got to we've got to go a little far right, um, or perhaps alt right, and we got to discuss Lauren Boebert. So I do want to quickly say this is in response to the recent debt ceiling negotiation that was uh, 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 the deal that was made between President Biden and Republican Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Lauren Boebert is, of course, a member of the Freedom Caucus, the far right flank of the Republican Party. And most of them are not too happy with this deal because in many ways it gives President Biden a political victory. Now, those of us on the progressive left, many of us, not necessarily myself, but there are many among our ranks would also challenge that notion. Nobody on the flanks of the parties are really happy with this deal. Um, But Lauren Boebert in particular is not happy whatsoever. So I want to play this clip. And then um, get into an even more interesting one that followed it. So here's what Lauren Boebert has to say about this debt ceiling deal. No excuses. I was ticked off. They wouldn't let me do my job. So I didn't take the vote. Once again, Washington's power machine shoved a multi-trillion dollar bill down our throats, refused to allow debate or amendments, disregarded everything we fought for in January to actually allow representatives to do their jobs. And instead... They served us up a crap sandwich. Call it a no-show protest, but I certainly let every one of my colleagues and the country know I was against this garbage of a bill and against bypassing the voice of each representative. Deals cut in the dark are why we are headed towards $36 trillion in debt, and I refuse. So to be clear, everyone, because this is relevant, (laughs) relevant to our next clip, She's saying she chose not to go to that vote as a protest. Instead of voting against something she doesn't support, she's not even going to vote. That's how brave she is. It was a principled stance, Luke, Mm. quite frankly. She could have gone in on time, and we'll get into that, and delivered a no vote. Um, (laughs) But instead, she did something even more powerful. She chose, Mm. of her own volition, calmly calculatingly, patriotically, not to show up to support this bill, which was passed with overwhelming bipartisan majorities in both chambers of uh, Congress before being signed into law by the president over the weekend. So again, she made that choice, Luke. You can't take that away from her. Uh, Thoughtful. Thoughtful. Wise. Patriotic. Impactful. Patriotic. You can't take that away from her unless, of course, you are her herself. This is another video from <laughs> Warren Bobert. And let's see what happens here. They just closed it. They closed it? Yeah. Hey. Hmm. What's that, Josiah? Uh, Lucas, I-, I don't know what I saw there, but that was apparently Lauren Bobert. Can you tell us what we just saw? So apparently, according to the journalist that caught that video, 
she <laughs> she's running up the stairs of the Capitol late and the journalist whoever was standing by said oh they've closed it um meaning you missed your chance to go in there and vote because she was running late so it seems allegedly she was not taking a principled stance she was late to a pretty important vote and then turned around and lied about why she wasn't there to vote so wait a minute so instead of taking a calm calculated patriotic principled no-show protest mm. she was just running late man, oh, oh man but like that's kind that, of embarrassing that shatters my perception of of lauren bobert though because she's normally so honest and principled i'm confused I, this I, you know honestly luke there's a first time for everything and even the most principled among us are not unerring, right? None of us are angels. We are but mortal people. I mean, that is quite frankly embarrassing. I, I got to say, um, just even like that's something out of a comic. Like you need the Seinfeld commercial, you know, the, the or the Seinfeld music, those early 90s heavy mm. bass line or the womp, womp, womp. That could, there could be a womp, I saw, womp, womp. I saw someone respond to that clip on Twitter saying the Veep credits need to play after that. Totally true. And it's not just that, of course, Lauren Boebert would be the one to miss the vote because she was running late, who knows why. But then to turn around and proudly proclaim, you know you're lying, and record a video saying, I did this out of protest because I'm a principled patriot. And uh, to broadcast that message, you're just inviting someone to fact check, fact check uh, what you're saying. 100%. Did she not see the camera in the person's hand when she turned around and, you know, You're responded? at the Capitol. <laughs> There's so right. many cameras all the time. That's Someone's a good point. Nobody <laughs> is ever at the Capitol without a camera. 100%. If there is a mother walking like her baby stroller, you can bet the child has an iPhone 11 and is recording as we speak. Like everybody is recording at the Capitol. That is profoundly embarrassing. I will mm. say before we move on, though, Luke, I do want to play one other part or one other clip that actually is relevant to this, particularly because Lauren Bober in the first clip when she was describing her protest no show described the deal negotiated between Kevin McCarthy and President Biden as a crap sandwich. So President Biden fed the Republicans a crap sandwich. But Kevin McCarthy, like d during the death ceiling negotiations and the weeks leading up to it, he used a different phrase uh, in insultingly to describe President Biden and President Biden's diet. And I want to play this and just, you know, illustrate the contrast. Reasonable, responsible, asked to sit down with the president for months. He is making the decision that he wants to put the economy in jeopardy. I don't know what more I can do and how easy. I would bring the lunch to the White House. I would make it soft food if that's what he wants. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> it is this constant contradiction. Biden is both sleepy Joe who doesn't know where he is, who can't get through a sentence, who can't think or make a, a, a single decision, and also he masterminded a stealing of an election like we haven't seen in the history of the world. And also he ate your lunch. 
your hard food lunch on this uh, debt ceiling agreement and out negotiated you and humiliated you, Kevin McCarthy, but he's also senile and doesn't know where he is. Yeah, he, okay. He stole your lunch and ate your lunch while also serving you a crap sandwich. You <laughs> mockingly, and note how all the Republicans took offense <laughs> behind him, including Steve Scalise, laughed. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> yes, Biden must deserve his soft food. And then two months later, half of your caucus is bemoaning the crap sandwich that he fed you. I wish I had aviators on because that would be a beautiful. That's a Biden win right there. And I just wanted to play that for contrast. I love that. And it does remind me of just the sad reality of telling your followers. And I guess they don't care about this, that your opponent is the most weak, incompetent opponent ever. And you just keep losing to him bummer uh donald trump spoke in iowa he actually had multiple speeches this is one i haven't yet covered and it was very strange in the dark this was in des moines iowa he seems not to be lit well um and deranged the dark and deranged speech in des moines iowa from donald trump um that's what i have for you starting with this clip as an example barack hussein obama obama got substantially less votes in his second term, and he won. We got more votes than anybody's ever gotten. And we didn't win. Explain that. But I can explain it, okay? The problem... I'm, I'm a stable genius. I could explain it. Yeah, so you got not more votes than anyone ever. You got more votes than any sitting president in history. But guess what? There's one person, he wasn't a sitting president at the time, who got more votes than you, Joe Biden, and you lost. Um, but this type of a conspiracy questioning where it's all of these questions you throw out that are perfectly answerable. For example, why is it that Trump could get so many votes compared to other elections in history and still lose? The entire election had massive turnout. So Trump did get a lot of votes and Biden got more. It's possible. It happened. We watched it happen. You can answer these questions. It's kind of Tucker Carlson. Why is this happening? Hmm. Why are M&Ms less hot to me now? Hmm. Um, there must be a woke conspiracy. Just answer the questions and then stop bothering me about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so bizarre. Number one, I actually don't know who was speaking in that video because um, the speaker was just not properly illuminated. I assume it was Donald Trump. Not quite sure. He should have borrowed <laughs> Carrie Lake's ring light. Just a uh, silhouette. <laughs> oh, right. yeah, you know, like that would have that would have helped. Donald, here you go, Donald. I mean, no, to your point, though, it it is so funny. Like, listen, if you want to give President Trump his his kudos for, you know, earning more votes than any sitting president during an election, fair enough. I mean, don't take that away from me. You don't have to. But this (laughs) idea that simply because, you know, he got more votes in round two than Obama, who was also an historically popular president, did in round one like this idea that what matters at the end of the day is how many votes you get next to the person you're running against not an earlier version of yourself so when president obama was running in 2012 it didn't matter that he got fewer votes than in 2008 because he was running against mitt romney in 2012 that's what mattered and he got more votes than romney that's all that matters same thing with trump in 2020 who cares that you got more in 2020 than in 2016 biden got more than you hillary obama that's what matters is who you're running against and that just seems to go right over his head absolutely uh next clip here from the speech 
Look at what they've done to the January 6th people. They've destroyed them and destroyed their lives. And a lot of them didn't even go into the building. It was a disgrace. What's going on? That is a disgrace. That's, that's going to go down in history, ultimately. And Ashley Babbitt was killed, shot by, a, in my opinion, a rogue cop. He had no business doing that. He shot her unarmed. And actually, people say she was trying to hold back the people that were pushing her forward. Uh, Ashley Babbitt was the one that was killed. She was the one that was killed. He is really bringing up Ashley Babbitt a lot recently. And to me, what's really enraging about that talking point is Ashley Babbitt made the decision. Obviously, every adult's responsible for their actions to attack the Capitol, all of that. So I'm not taking away from um, that reality. But if you want to blame someone outside, it's not the police officer, it's Trump. If you want to blame someone for Ashley Babbitt being there and attacking the Capitol, besides her making the decision to do so, the only other person you could talk about within that conversation is Donald Trump because he lied to her. How is it? I just wish his followers could tap into this. She is uh, not alive today because she bought into lies told by Trump about the election. Why? Because he was such a snowflake. He couldn't accept the fact he lost an election. And so he riled up this mob. They all bought into his lies and attacked the Capitol. And then the police officer uh, attempted and wasn't in the wrong in doing what he did, even though it is heartbreaking when someone loses their life like that. The reason, though, that she was even there is because of lies told by Donald Trump. He should have some, obviously he won't, moral awakening and realize complaining about her every day is just should be a reminder of what you've done, the damage you've caused, again, because you couldn't just accept like all these other candidates, all these other presidents have in the past that you lost to Joe Biden. No, 100%. Listen, whether or not Donald Trump has any legal culpability in the death of Ashley Babbitt or January 6th, those are questions that will be answered once special counsel uh, Jack Smith concludes his investigation into Trump's involvement with January 6th and his uh, retention of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, uh, which we're hearing good news about that, at least as far as the left is concerned. But he is unquestionably morally culpable for her death as well, because as you say, this is a woman who um, like you said, she was an adult and she was a veteran as well. So she probably had even more conception of her actions than the average person because she also took an oath during her service, you know, to defend the Constitution and, and things like that. And she betrayed all that with her personal decision. But she was also radicalized by the lies of Donald Trump. So she was as much a victim as a perpetrator as well. And it is it is tragic. Um, but the idea that that it was the it was the Capitol Police or or anybody else defending our lawmakers against a coup attempt that they're legally and morally culpable and not, you know, the invaders and not the person who deceived the invaders into invading in the first place. It's just it's an absolute disgrace. Um, and it's also tragic that people who are close to, um, you know, Ashley Babbitt uh, have not spoken out against this even more, because, again, like you said, if you do an evaluation of it. Uh, you would think that they would be furious with Trump first and foremost for lying to Babbitt in the first place. Yes. Uh, something a little bit more lighthearted here. It's gone sick. And I don't like the term woke because I hear woke, woke, woke. You know, it's like just a term that use half the people can't even define it. They don't know what it is. 
so before we discuss play this next clip from after the clip you just watched okay a different event this fox news town hall and he says this but we did a lot you know our military is great a lot of things going on with our military with the woke and all this nonsense and not they're not learning to fight and protect us from some very bad people they want to go woke they want to go woke that's all they talk about so not consistent but he was correct in the first clip that he included um himself included when they use this term as i've said many many times especially with ron DeSantis, who just can't stop glitching out saying that word constantly no matter the subject it doesn't actually mean something to them it does mean something being aware of social injustices to people who are kind of on the left or buy into the positive side of what that word could mean but the people who hate the word it's just a nebulous term for erg i don't like those people yeah it's almost it's it's uh, I, I i've heard some people on on twitter and some political commentators refer it refer to it as woke tourettes this idea that when you need the some sort of buzzword to fill the space you'll just use woke 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 because to the republican base it is a polarizing word that engenders such intense rage. Um, but what's funny is poll after poll has shown, even recently, that the majority of Americans uh, recognize that woke simply means to be aware of social injustice and that that's important. So what mobilizes the Republican base is stands in stark contrast, like is mutually exclusive to what the vast majority of the country like cares about. And so what's interesting about those two clips when you play them back to back is, is it evidence that Donald Trump will just say whatever he wants whenever he's like desperately reaching for a word? Sure. But you could also interpret it. Maybe there's like some like low cunning involved too. Like he's, he recognizes that it's a way to hit DeSantis, who of course is overusing the word woke, 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 woke. We're going to leave woke in the dustbin of history and all that. So it's a way to hit uh, DeSantis when it's convenient but also in a different setting with different people in a different town hall, he might think, mm, actually, no, the, I can see I'm just gauging the audience and they might respond, well, this might get applause and viral moments if I lean into the woke trope as well. So um, it, at the end of the day, that's just proof that the Republican Party and the Republican base, unfortunately, does not reward consistency. They don't want Trump or care for Trump to be consistent. Are you pro-woke? Do you care about woke? Do you hate woke? Where do you stand on the woke issue? He says one thing on Monday and a different thing on Tuesday and a third thing on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Last clip here. It's going to be painful because China doesn't want to make this deal and you're going to have to, you know, live with it. And the far I would watch people being interviewed in Iowa, Nebraska, different places, and they'd say, they'd say, uh, you know, it's painful right now. I said, you're going to go through a little pain before I get this deal done because you have to. That's the way it works. And, uh, we should have gone through a little more pain, perhaps, over the last few days to get maybe a deal done. But uh, if you understand what I mean. If you understand what I mean, Josiah? Uh, right there. <laughs> it's actually not surprising because he said it during the CNN town hall weeks ago uh, before the debt ceiling negotiations had really kicked off in earnest. Um, Donald Trump wanted the U.S. to default. He did not want 
a deal to be negotiated successfully between President Biden and congressional Republicans, because he rightly understood that that would hurt Biden politically if there was no deal. Uh, and that would benefit him and the Republican Party politically as well. Um, you know, Republicans will exploit a crisis. They will create, manufacture, exacerbate existing crises. They'll do whatever they have to. And when Trump was called out on that, like, well, listen, when you were president, you demanded clean debt ceiling lifts and that nobody take advantage of the situation to hurt you politically, that it would because it would hurt so many millions of Americans and Democrats agreed and they didn't hurt you with it. They didn't even try. Why mm -hmm. did you say one thing when you were president? But now you're saying something else entirely. And he told Caitlin Collins very bluntly and got applause for it. It's because I'm not president anymore. So, yeah, it, the Republicans. Right. Right. It, it's 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 just absolutely it's disgusting. And again, um, he's not only not punished for his lack of consistency, he's rewarded for it. By his own supporters who are hearing him say there should have been more pain. And he does want for his own political gain. He would have wanted an agreement not to be struck between Kevin McCarthy and Biden so that Biden got hurt politically and that would maybe hurt his uh, chances against Biden in 2024. And to hear that from someone who you support wrapped up in the hypocrisy involved based on him previously while he, he was president saying we shouldn't use the raising of the debt ceiling as uh, leverage to get policy concessions and also him saying i would be fine with you guys suffering a lot just really he's not going to word it this way but to hurt um biden and help him politically it is really really vile and people go for it and the inconsistency the hypocrisy as you've said many times and we discuss on the show it's the superpower if your followers are okay with you being inconsistent and uh not attempting to be honest then in a sort of political debate setting you have the upper hand because you can never be held accountable or held accountable for your inconsistencies if you don't care and your followers don't care but also not because you're being dishonest and that shouldn't be something that's rewarded in a political environment but unfortunately it is right now 100 percent. and again unfortunately or fortunately depending on your perspective like listen I wish we lived in a world where certain, you know, um, norms and traditions were mutually respected. And so like this idea, for example, that, you know, consistency is important uh, among your political candidates. I wish that that was still the case and still reciprocal. But the reality is in this political climate, only one side gets to be graded on a curve in that way. Only the Republican Party and the Republican leading candidates can say one thing on Monday and a different thing on Tuesday. And not only do the, does their base not care, as well as the conservative leaders and major elements of the media, not only do they not care, they celebrate it. Um, now, imagine, imagine if President Biden or then candidate Biden, or even just a prominent Democrat period, had said anything like that about, you need to suffer a bit more to get a better deal. Imagine the outrage. And, and mainstream media, excuse me, uh, mainstream media will, to prove that they're not too biased, go crazy when a Democrat does something like that. Um, and then just quickly gets over the fact that Republicans... Uh, the GOP candidates are constantly doing it. And you went over during a recent, I think it was today, a segment on your show, a former Obama official who called this out in regard to the debt ceiling agreement and uh, pointed out the fact that even mainstream media outlets are saying Kevin McCarthy 
is great for what he did with this agreement. And somehow this is a big victory for him again to show that, look, we're not too biased. We think Kevin McCarthy did a really good thing, even though he was threatening to crash the economy to get policy concessions and he still lost. He threatened to crash the economy to get you know concessions from Biden. And then he got actually very few concessions from Biden. So he's a failure on multiple fronts. And this idea that he's a success because he hasn't lost his job yet, yet. I mean, so, you know, that when McCarthy, after the 15 rounds of voting to get this job, um, you know, one of the things that he had to concede to the Freedom Caucus was the motion to vacate the chair, which is the American version of the vote of no confidence. So any member, any member of the House of Representatives, Luke, can trigger a vote you still have to win the vote, but they can trigger a vote uh, to get rid of McCarthy. So it, it, you could easily conceive of a situation, even if they know it's not going to win, just to embarrass him, just to frustrate him. Matt Gates, Paul Gosar, Lauren Boebert, any of the majority of the Freedom Caucus triggering this vote just to express their displeasure at uh, Speaker McCarthy. So this idea that he he won because he hasn't lost his job. OK, but that may still happen. And by the way, if. A, a motion to vacate the chair does happen. If he does keep his job, if he survives the vote, it may very well be because Democrats have to come to his rescue and be like, you know what? You know what, Kev? We don't like you all that much, but you know what? You're better than the crazy alternative. So here, we'll help you out, but we'll throw you a lifeline. So, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's preposterous. Mm. Uh, take it away on our, on our next story. So we just saw Donald Trump, a lot of Donald Trump. Thanks, Luke. Um, but now I want to turn to one of his most prominent and outspoken supporters in the Republican Party, uh, specifically James Comer of Kentucky, who is the chairman of the Oversight Committee. So once upon a time, being chairman of the Oversight Committee, Luke, meant that you would actually provide dispassionate, respectful, professional oversight of the executive branch. It would be nonpartisan. You just want to make sure what the most powerful man in the world and his various agencies are doing, just as mandated by uh, the Constitution. Under the Republicans, uh, it has become a political weapon to just try to hurt President Biden. So uh, instead of addressing, you know, um, the southern border or inflation or whatever it is that Republicans swore to the, the people during the 2022 midterms that they would tackle. As soon as uh, James Comer became chairman of the Oversight Committee in January, he announced that his priority was to investigate Hunter Biden yet again and use it as a proxy to investigate President Biden. So that's that's basically the background of this. And what we have today um, is a clip, uh, actually probably a few because these investigations are ongoing and Republicans have failed to produce the goods. They failed to produce the receipts, Luke. They say they're getting more and more evidence which shows President Biden's corruption and influence peddling. What they have are some kind of questionable receipts or transactions uh, pertaining to members of the Biden family. But they don't have they have literally nothing on Joe Biden himself. So what's happened is the. Uh, the uh, Republican majority and the House Oversight Committee, they say that they, there's a document out there, that there's a document which claims that Joe Biden, when he was President Obama's vice president, engaged in influence peddling um, and that this is the smoking gun they've been looking for. And they want this document from the FBI. The FBI initially said, no, you're not going to get it, but we'll show it to you. 
The FBI allowed James Comer and Jamie Raskin, who is the Democratic ranking member of the House Oversight Committee, to see this document. And this clip is shows the aftermath. So let's take a look. About the ongoing investigation, did they say anything about the nature of it? All I know is there's an ongoing investigation. They confirmed there's an ongoing investigation using this information. I assume that ongoing investigation is in Delaware. I don't know that. But I assume that. Is it part of an ongoing investigation? Part of an ongoing investigation. That's what he learned. Okay. But then I must have missed that because I've not heard that this is part of any ongoing investigation. So I'll also say that this is a back. This clip is a compilation. It's a back and forth. The first man is James Comer, the Republican chairman, and then the second speaker is a ranking member of the Democrat. Uh, Jamie Raskin. And basically, during this press conference, you're finding out two conflicting narratives. So it's important to look at these clips. Did you want to weigh in on any of this before we move on? Just clarifying, Jamie Raskin is uh, having to fact check James Comer because he also got to see the document. That's basically Jamie Raskin's job full time is to fact check. And he's honestly just sidebar, which I know you know this, Luke, because you've covered him a zillion times. In terms of being a Democratic fact checker of Republicans, Jamie Raskin may have no peer in the in the Democratic Party. He may He's be great. the best. I love Jamie Raskin. Yeah. yeah. The, the the main reason they're not wanting to make this public is because they're concerned about the source, the highly credible. And I haven't read that in a lot of outlets. The highly credible source that's been with the been with the uh, bureau since the Obama administration. Yeah, there's a confidential human source that the FBI works with, who has proven to be very credible, who reported a conversation with someone else. That confidential human source said that he had no way of knowing about the underlying veracity of the things that he was being told. So I want to pause there real quick, Luke. Um, So as, as far as that segment, Comer is making the claim that the information in this document, which, by the way, is simply an allegation, that's what the document has. There's no proof. It's an allegation. Comer's trying to spin it. Well, the allegation was made by a highly credible source. And Jamie Raskin is having to fact check, check him again. The highly credible source in the document was simply reporting a conversation that he heard involving another party. It's not the highly credible source making the claim or making the allegation against then Vice President Biden. The highly credible source is saying, hey, listen, I overheard it and I have no idea if it's true, but I'm just reporting it, letting you know. Isn't that kind of an important detail? Super important. And it is funny, you and I have talked about offline. Republicans now will have to provide so much evidence against Biden if they ever want to credibly make a claim about Biden because they've accused him of just about everything without providing the evidence um, so far. And that's what they're spending all their time doing. That's what our tax dollars in part are going towards is James Comer's witch hunt against uh, Joe Biden. And fill everyone in on the detail about when this allegation was originally made and Bill Barr and all that. Yeah. So so what's interesting about this, too, and, and I'll uh, I'll bring it up here in just a second. But so the timeline here is so hilarious because Comer and the Republicans would have everyone believe that President Biden's FBI, which, by the way, is led by a Republican Trump appointed director, Christopher Wray, 
uh, is sitting on this information because it would be damaging to then Vice President Biden's reputation. When the reality is that the document that Comer is seeking, uh, it actually originated because of Rudy Giuliani, hardly a beacon of credibility and veracity. Uh, he shared information with the Justice Department during the Trump administration while Bill Barr was attorney general. And then Barr, in turn, tapped U.S. Uh, attorney Scott Brady to oversee an FBI investigation into the, these claims. And then during Bill Barr's tenure, during the Trump administration, Barr and Brady dismissed the investigation concerning this document. So to be very clear, the document that they're talking about, this allegation against then Vice President Biden from a highly credible source, who again was only reporting what he overheard, the highly credible source was not making the allegation himself, that was investigated under Trump by Bill Barr and a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney. And then under Trump, by Bill Barr and that same U.S. Uh, attorney, they dismissed the investigation. What does that tell you? Trump was covering it up. No, <laughs> Bill, <laughs> Barr know, and, <laughs> Bill Barr was covering it up. No, that's, that's hilarious. I wouldn't, listen, with all the stuff that we've seen, would you not be surprised if someone in MAGA world, if someone in the Freedom Caucus doesn't like say something to that effect? Like, actually, you know what? <laughs> Bill Barr... Uh, Bill Barr and, right. and Scott Brady, they were covering it up for Biden. They were deep state Biden plants that crawled from Hunter Biden's laptop like the girl in the ring. You know, just <laughs> it's like the right same thing that would have come out. Trump was pressuring Zelensky trying to get dirt on Biden. You don't think that would have been leveraged uh, within Trump's administration? That would have been something that was discussed, was made public back then if it was credible. Of course it would, it would have. And it reminds me of the Hunter Biden laptop thing. The laptop has everything. The laptop from hell, so much evidence on Hunter Biden's laptop. And Giuliani had the laptop at one point. Tucker Carlson was supposed to, but he lost it. Sort of how they lost their whistleblower at one point. And all these different people have said, I got access to Hunter Biden's laptop and it's bad. But then they never... Oh, can we see it, Luke? Can, can, will you show us the laptop if it's so right. bad? And it reminds me of the whistleblower. It's going to destroy Biden's presidency. All right, we're ready. Show it to us. Uh, we lost the whistleblower. <laughs> it's beyond parody. I'm it's looking. I can't find it. a caricature of kind of this. <laughs> Where did I, I misplaced the, the laptop and a, a person, a human person. I don't know where it went. Um it's absurd and it's as if they're trying to this isn't the case this would be a conspiracy theory but sometimes it's hard to believe they're seriously trying to be politically effective instead of trying to be so cartoonishly dumb that they hurt their own party yeah i mean that would be listen if it did come out in a decade that all these people like bill barr and rudy giuliani obviously we have no evidence that that's the case <laughs> and plenty of evidence the contrary but if like on their deathbeds they like authored this autobiography where they were like listen honestly we were just i, I know we were larping as maga devoted trump supporters but in reality we just didn't like the guy and we were doing it like then it would be like oh that would be like hurt. the ultimate m night Shyamalan twist um, but you're right. That is a conspiracy theory and there's no basis for it. But man, wouldn't that be funny? Mm. 
Speaking of MAGA conspiracy theorists, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is still up to her Marjorie Taylor Greene things, if you can imagine. Um, and I want to show you a clip from a recent Battleground with MTG episode. She's constantly podcasting, a little too much podcasting, Marjorie, where she perpetuates this conspiracy theory that the FBI actually did January 6th. They coordinated that to frame Trump and frame Trump supporters. And this segment, I want to serve as a reminder that even though she's trying to, as she gets admittedly more powerful within the GOP, she has a lot of sway with Kevin McCarthy and she represents that MAGA engine of the GOP and it's terrifying. She's trying to sometimes, and the media is sometimes going along with portraying her as a more serious individual in a position of power let that not into your mind for a second she is still the QAnon conspiracy theories even though she's denounced those views sort of uh, now specifically that she always was that she was in the past and this is what she believes or says she believes about january 6th take a look federal government should never be weaponized against the people and set up honey pots and traps to draw people in and, and actually take part in making these people commit crimes and then framing the people to set up a narrative against a president, it's wrong. And I believe that's what happened on January 6th. She believes, probably not, well maybe she does, but she says that she believes. January 6th, as you've heard her say before, but she is still perpetuating this, was actually an FBI ploy to what? To what? To help Biden by blocking his certification to hurt Trump? Just, I, I can't. Listen, I think you're expecting far too much internal coherence uh, from not only a Republican politician, but uh, a member of the worst parts of the Republican Party. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and I, I, my understanding is, that um, you have quite a bit of experience with this line of thinking in uh, the interviews that you've conducted. Is that the case? Absolutely. Uh, as a reminder that Marjorie Green is not just talking out when she does her MTG Battleground podcast. She's not just talking out to an abyss. She is influencing real people who buy into these views. It's sad. It's terrifying. And here's an example from the Waco, Texas Trump rally I went to. They had brought it up, and Pence had a chance to... On January 6th? Yeah. He had his chance to say what he needed to say, and then all of a sudden, the riot happened. And they. Oh, I see where we're going. Yeah. yeah they, the they riot could, happened, and everybody had to flee. And then by the time they come back in there, <laughs> then they couldn't do it. Okay, okay. So, we're not break, wait, we're not we got we to gotta break this all down. It's okay, okay. it's okay. So, first we got to start with what do you think actually happened on January 6th? Who actually initiated it? I think uh, I think it was infiltrated by the FBI and people in black uh, black uh, uh, lives. Black lives matter. Yeah. Yeah. Now you know that was all a ploy to do what though? Uh, why would why would why would the the MAGA supporters all of a sudden start uh, uh, creating havoc mm -hmm. when they haven't done it before? Why would they do that? Right wing extremism is actually far more common common than left wing extremism. <laughs> yeah, but they right. did. But oh, I gotta go back to it though. 
the certification was going to certify Biden's win. The votes were there. It was. And Pence was going to do it. He was on board with certifying Biden's win well, before vote. January 6th. So why would they want a, a riot that would prevent them from certifying it for the night? Okay, but let's think about it, though. Pence was not on board. It's just when the person said, Pence said, do you have the the names? They said, we have the name. Has it been approved by the Senate? Yeah, all the, and and, and just the as they as he asked them that, bam! That's when the everybody ride took off. Everybody had to so rush. After they got but through. then they came back and did what they were going to do anyways. Yeah, but they couldn't do it after they come back. And then I was kicked out. Like I didn't even matter there. They didn't even like me. Can you imagine? I can't, I can't believe you made it that far up the line. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> you got to give yourself credit there, right? That I mean, you made it that far in. Behind mm. And it was lines. funny. This is a story I've told, but there's this long line, and it turned out nice where I could get into the back of the line, interview people, and then we would walk in line together, and they would go into the rally. And as the day went on. The, the same security guard kept pushing us back further and further and further. This is the line you have to stay behind. Now this one, now this one. Because um, I think she picked up on the, the views I was espousing. She, the she dangerous facts the progressivism I, I sure. on you. She just like, it, it, it billowed off you like a stunk. fog. Actually, one guy shouted out at us in an unhappy manner. And I kind of turned confused because I wasn't talking to him. How would he even know? that I was progressive or anything like that. And uh, so I asked and he said, you look progressive, you dress progressive. And I was like, huh, <laughs> what does that mean? I wasn't uniform, wearing a man. Biden thing or <laughs> anything like that. You're in the progressive uniform. What were you expecting? And now, he actually now you said, know. look at those shoes. They were just kind of normal dress shoes, I think. I don't know. I don't even remember. You can see in the video, very strange, but People buy into it. That's the point of that clip. And the conspiracy theory there, I get that people can buy into things, very intelligent people can buy into things that aren't based in fact, in reality. It happens. Okay. I get that. But at least if you're going to believe a conspiracy theory, like some of the, I'm not going to list them, but there are conspiracy theories that aren't based in fact, but at least follow some sort of logical train of thought. If this were to be true, if we could uncover evidence, then it would make sense. This, even if there were evidence for what they're saying, it wouldn't make any sense going together. Mike Pence said publicly before, um, and plenty of reporting on this as well, before, during, and after January 6th, he was not going to reject the certification of Biden's win. But their theory was, he was saying that, but he actually was going to reject the certification. And so uh, Democrats knew that, the FBI knew that. So they created and uh, choreographed, coordinated, and manipulated Trump supporters into attacking the Capitol, some Antifa, some real Trump supporters, who knows. And that was to prevent Pence from rejecting the certification of the election. But then he after the attack was over, came back and certified the election. Why? Why didn't he reject it if that was the plan all along? It oh, makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, again, like you said, there are some conspiracy theories. I mean, obviously all conspiracy theories uh, in terms of like, you know, burden of proof, they're all wrong. Um, but there are conspiracy theories that follow, that like have a logical pattern, that have a premise, and the premise, you know, the conclusion follows from the premises. Uh, even if it's a false premise, this one is just kind of a mess. All the every which way, um, there was public reporting before, during, and after 
uh, January 6th that uh, then Vice President Pence had absolutely no intention of um, uh, denying then President-elect Joe Biden's victory. Now, as a sidebar, I do want to say very often people lionize Mike Pence for his integrity here. He shouldn't be lionized for two reasons. Number one, not overthrowing the republic to install your boss as an unelected dictator. Kind of a bare minimum for, you know, uh, a a member of uh, the federal government. And number two, if you look at the reporting on it, Mike Pence was actually pretty, like, tempted by this. He was tormented by it. He consulted constitutional scholars and Republican leaders, you know, and heard them out. Like, is there really any way I can justify this? It wasn't like a flat, you know, categorical rejection of the idea. So I don't give him much credit there. That said, um, the logic doesn't follow, Luke. Like you said, he made it very clear he wasn't going to um, he wasn't going to give Trump a victory. So why would the FBI orchestrate January 6th to protect Biden's victory when Mike Pence said all along that he was going to do that? And why would Trump why would Trump speak? in the hours before the January 6th insurrection um, and be so upset. Like it's, it doesn't, none of it makes any sense whatsoever. Um, Yeah. Trump called out Pence during that speech and after, um, why would he do that? If really Pence was in on rejecting the results and then Marjorie Green didn't include the Pence part of it, but she also just has no logical train of thought, even considering the fact that there's no evidence Still, the logic doesn't follow. So they were going to frame Trump to do what? Frame Trump supporters. Why? Why would they risk being exposed for such a conspiracy, such a coordinated effort, such a crime to just make Trump look bad? No. Yeah. He doesn't I don't need know. any help like with that, that, Josiah. It's one of those things that the more you talk about it, almost it like it does. It, it hurts your brain. It's brain almost like it's a combination here. Yeah, it's a combination of words that are designed to like trigger a migraine or something because (laughs) I don't I don't think when you're not in a cult, you know, I don't think that you're equipped to understand truly to comprehend the the various intricacies of a cultist mind. And unfortunately, that is what we're dealing with. The Republican Party, whether we like it or not, a huge chunk of them have effectively become the biggest cult in the history of the United States. And it's manifest in their thinking. And it reminds me 100% too of, this is when I really started to resonate with what you're saying. When I talk to a Trump supporter who believes Biden's been a bad president and was to blame for inflation, Mm -hmm. but Trump's still not should be president or is the actual president, you know, in our hearts is serving currently as president. And I have a compilation I've shown multiple times of multiple people telling me that, but Biden is destroying America as president, but Trump's still running the country as president right and i've tried to get them to clarify that multiple times. yes he's running he has command over the military and all of that ah. and like you're saying if you're not in the cult there's no way to understand how someone's brain could wrap itself around those types of ideas no and and that's why a lot of people say and i think there's truth to this i mean so many criminologists and psychologists and psychiatrists have written books on how to deprogram cultists. Um, and it's a very intricate, very difficult job. And it's usually, it usually has to be done interpersonally with extraordinary effort because there's an expression, I'm probably going to butcher it, but something to the effect of you can't logic someone out of that, which they got into without logic, you know? And I think there's, 
that's mostly the case, uh, especially when we live in what many people regard as a post-fact world where, you know, alternative facts as Republican uh, strategist and advisor Kellyanne Conway famously <laughs> said during the Trump administration. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an incredibly uphill battle, uh, that, which is why I said I think it's remarkable you made it that deep into the, the picket line there. Good for you. Mm. Well, thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's big, full, long Monday show with Josiah. Do you want to plug your stuff real quick? Absolutely. So, uh, Luke, again, I appreciate the invitation, appreciate the opportunity and doing this on the regular. Uh, those of you who are watching, you can find me at youtube.com slash at pondering politics, one word. If you're looking for progressive coalition building commentary and calling out the GOP for what it's become, I hope you uh, visit and give a like and subscribe. Wonderful. Thank you for being here and thank you all for watching. I'll see you tomorrow.